The reviews are in, and we're going to tell you what they are. He's Todd Vandenberg. I'm Rob Steele, and we've got a slightly different episode than we are used to because we're throwing reviews in with the news because it works for some of these stories. It do. I am, however, going to start with the new and improved Chris Hardwick. <gasps> yeah, no one was expecting that, were they? No. No, you remember how... Uh, I guess it was, this was about two years ago. Chris Hardwick was everywhere. In Indeed he every, was. It was either Chris Hardwick or Chris Pine. <laughs> uh, you know, one of the two of them was in everything. I There is a new Chris Hardwick. Ooh. And I'm pretty sure her name is Margot Robbie. <laughs> I can see that. She... Uh, has apparently been attached to the new and why the hell are we rebooting this already pirates of the Caribbean movie. Oh, jeez. <sighs> we just finished. Yeah. L- let, let it lie there and fester for, I mean, just, you know, let us get over it for a little bit first before, just, uh, sounds a lot like what Sony did with Spider-Man. Oh, let's reboot it. It's been six months. Oh, let's reboot it again. At least the third try, third time it stuck. But wow. It's because the third time they put it with something else that made sense. Yes, that's true. Margot Robbie, is she going to be the lead pirate? Do we know? Uh, she is attached. That is attached. the best I've got. Um, story details are under wraps. Hmm. Interesting. Which means everyone's going to die from cellophane poisoning. <laughs> Actually, you know what? I'm going to throw. I'm, I'm moving this story up a bit because I had it later in the thing. But you know what? Move I'll it move up uh, because it's another reboot story that doesn't quite make sense to me. Twister. That doesn't make any sense to me either. And by the way, Ted, we did not have much pre-pro here, so this is why we're moving things on the fly. Yep. Anyway, Twister. Yeah. Uh, uh, why? What? There, there's <laughs> nothing wrong with the one that's uh, that's still there. I don't care if it came out in 96. Well, personally, I could care less about seeing the original Twister because I thought it was insanely stupid. But I know there are a lot of fans. A friend of mine on Facebook said, oh, my gosh, I hope they do it justice because this is my favorite movie. And I'm thinking, you need I, to I thought you were a normal person. But Twister yeah, obviously has lots, <laughs> obviously has lots of fans. But yeah, this is just one of these things. It's like there's so many movies that they remake. Is like, what's the point? Which that's going to come up again a little later in the show. Oh yeah, the subject of remakes. Um, yeah, I don't know why they're remaking Twister, other than they think they'll obviously they'll make money because that's the only reason to remake movies usually. Well, Odd you, choice. You can't have Bill Paxton in it. He's a bit dead. Yeah, which is sad. And he'll be in the news later too, because. It's all tied together. String theory and everything. Mm-hmm. Um, now, we did have some sad news this week that brought about some potentially cool news. And I would not have tied these together if it weren't uh, for the Internet going, hey, here's a quote that'll tie these together. And I went, oh, really? String theory. Uh, Joel Schumacher. Yes. Died. He did. Which, which is sad. It is. Uh, and if you don't know who he is off the top of your head, he's the guy who created the bastardizations known as Batman Forever and Batman and Robin, uh, <laughs> the movies. 
now once Schumacher was brought in and gave the movie an overhaul, Michael Keaton, who is widely regarded as one of, if not the best Batman, Batman, Batmans, Batmans. um, one of the best ever said, and this is allegedly a quote, he would never play Batman again while Schumacher was alive. Oh, Jesus. The day after Schumacher died, there's a quote that says he's been signed to play Batman in the Flash uh, movie Flashpoint. Which is terrific casting and absolutely makes sense if you know the story, the Flashpoint story. And if you don't, uh, make it your business to know the story because it's one of the best DC arcs ever. And for my money, it's the best. Yeah. Yeah. I think it might be better than The Dark Knight. I mean, it's just a tremendous movie. It's animated, but that doesn't matter because it's an awesome movie. And it's a great story. Uh, If you want to go get the books, brace yourself. You'll need a big wallet because it covered every book in the DC universe for like six months. Yeah, it's a huge story. It, it, it's Yeah, wow. And the fact that they turned it into an animated flick, which is, I think, 90, I think it's less than 100 minutes. They did a fantastic job with that story. But I mean, not all of it's there. No, it can't be. But to the point, Michael Keaton would be awesome for this role at this point in time. So it's not like, oh, too bad. It's not Michael Keaton back when he didn't. Because exactly. It has to be not Bruce Wayne, but Thomas Wayne. Thomas Wayne. Who is the Batman in this particular story? And if you don't like, like, like Todd said, if you don't know the story, look it up. It really is worth it. If it you totally like, is worth it. If you like and, any of the DC characters, and because they're all in it. This isn't really a spoiler, but just a hint. Thomas Wayne is is not his son's Batman. I guess you would put it. He's a very different Batman, and Michael Keaton can totally pull off this character. Oh, absolutely! Totally pull off this character. There's there's a dark edge to Thomas Wayne in that Darker. story. Kate, yeah, darker. Keaton can totally pull this off. And we're so, not going to tell you who the Joker is. No, but God, I hope that's true. That would be so good. I, that would be so good. I would love this. I would. I don't care who else is in the movie. I don't care who. I don't care if they bring back Joel Schumacher to direct it. I would watch this movie just just because Michael Keaton is going to play Batman. That well, alone see, that, would be that worth kind it. of leads into the release date things because it does uh joel schumacher would have to be in ghostbusters afterlife he would have to be see um the only news we have on that is they finally nailed down a release date for it because i'll be honest i looked at the release releases for the films that are coming out for the rest of the year right uh, at the beginning of the year and there were really only two that i was really really interested in seeing Mm-hmm. Uh, one was Ghostbusters Afterlife, which is not coming out this year now. It's coming out March 5th next year. And the other one was uh, the Marvel Cinematic Universe version of The Eternals, which is one of the Jack Kirby stories. And if you know those, they're, wow, it's just really good. I went back and reread them recently, yeah. and it's awesome. I want to see this on a big screen. Uh, coming Indeed. out February 12th of next year, provided COVID doesn't continue at its current rate exactly and and a quick note when you're talking about the the visuals of the eternals think of the craziest parts of dr strange how how trippy that was that's jack kirby's influence so the eternals is going to look amazing 
It's so. going to be absolutely wild. Yep. Um, other news from the MCU. And I really like this and really hope it's going to happen. And I'm really not holding my breath. <laughs> but there's a guy named Mikey Sutton. And you're mm-hmm. wondering, who, who the hell is Mikey Sutton? He's apparently a guy who has somehow gotten an inside track on a lot of MCU stuff. He's posted a lot of rumors that have all turned out to be real. Who knew? Now, his newest rumor that, is, that has come out is that there is going to be a Wolverine versus Hulk movie. Which, if you know Wolverine's history, that's where he debuted. He wasn't originally with the X-Men. Indeed, he was not. Uh, he was with Department H in Canada and was sent after the Hulk, who had wandered up into the Great White North, eh? <laughs> and, uh, you know, that's where Wolverine came from, which is kind of cool. Now, here's another thing that comes with it. There's going to be a spinoff of an Alpha Flight TV series on Disney Plus. Wow. If you don't know Alpha Flight, it's it's the Avengers in Canada, eh? <laughs> I actually always liked Alpha Flight. Um, but Alpha I mean this this rumor cool. goes on to say that uh, the tentative lineup for for this version of Alpha Flight is Vindicator, North Star, Aurora, Puck, Sasquatch, Shaman and Snowbird, which is pretty much the original original yeah. group. That would be so, so cool. And that's really smart to put them on Disney Plus. Really smart move. Great place to do it because I don't know that it would go over anywhere else. Well, you know, and as soon as I said that, I thought, yeah, like Guardians of the Galaxy. And it's like, oh, wait a minute. (laughs) So, uh, yeah, maybe they could have made this a huge blockbuster movie. But the safer move is definitely going to be Disney Plus. And there's the venue for it. So, yep. That's a, that is really cool news. Hopefully, this again is accurate because that would be awesome. Especially um, the Alpha Flight, absolutely. But Wolverine versus Hulk is like yes. That's please. always been a good fight. That's an excellent, and it's, that is a good fight no matter how often it happens. Which has been I don't know how often they fought in the comics, but that initial face-off is terrific. That's just a great story. And actually, uh, we got Wolverine in costume. Yes. So maybe we would get that in the movies. Who knows? That would be pretty tasty. That's something I I would be looking forward to seeing. Indeed. As opposed to, and actually, I'm not really sure if I'm looking forward to this anymore or not. (laughs) Um, There's a a trailer that came out for the Isaac Asimov-based series Foundation. It's going to be on Apple TV. Did you see the trailer for this? I have not seen the trailer. Hopefully, this is like a multiple episode show. Oh, it has to, it has to be. the The book's enormous. Yeah. Um, actually, have you read the books? Because I have read the books, and yeah, that would. I don't know how how many how many seasons will they have to do? I mean, yeah. <laughs> exactly. If you if you're doing less than a you know uh, less than a season a book, right? Or less than a book a season. I'm not sure which way that goes. <laughs> you're not doing it right. Right. Um, now, I, I, if, you, if you're not familiar with the Foundation series, think of it this way. This was written back in the 30s and 40s. Yep. And you are going to, if you read it, you're going to look at it and go, oh, look, there's Star Wars. There's Star Trek. There's Battlestar Galactica. There's this sci-fi series, that sci-fi, sci-fi. 
Fi Fi Sub Hi Fi Fi Hi Fi series. Again, no pre pro. No. <laughs> yes, you are absolutely I can correct. I my tongue if I want to. So there. There, there's, um, there are. There's more than one reason it's called Foundation. Yeah. Not intentionally, but that's how it turned out to be. So, I saw the trailer and. It had Harry Seldon in it. There's our main character. That's good. It had psycho history mentioned. Okay, that's good. There was a boat scene. That's good. good. I don't remember there being a boat in the entire series, and I've read all six books. I'm sure there is. There, there probably somewhere. is somewhere. Uh, there was a space <laughs> elevator. I have to admit, hmm. I don't remember that either. That's, that's an Arthur C. Clarke thing, but okay. Um, no there problem following that. There was a scene with someone looking for something with a flashlight on a on, on a big friggin' gun. Hmm. Okay. Really? I'm what what book was that? Because yeah, I know I... you can't see me because this is a podcast, but watch this. Todd can see my arm on the camera. I am touching four of the books right now. <laughs> I don't remember that part. Yeah, and I, don't I remember read them at then. least once a year. So, you know, because they're that damn good. It looks really good, and okay, if you want to take some creative license, go yeah. right ahead. I just, I want this to be good. Uh, yeah. <laughs> this is, remember when people were, like, amped about the Dark Tower coming out, and then thought, wait, why are they doing this in one movie? And then it turned out that it was Crap. not good at all. Exactly. <laughs> There's really no comparison to how important this series is for science fiction to the dark tower. And then obviously that series has, has legions of fans. Uh, I'm not one of them because I never got into that particular series of books. Cause I didn't want to read, I don't know, 600,000 words just for two of the novels, but th there's no comparison. I mean, foundation literally is the foundation of so much science fiction, just like you said. So this has to be good. Has to be good. Has to be. So hopefully it is. And like no, you said, I'm, I'm cool if they borrow some things from other from other properties, but it's like, do a good job, please. Yeah. Please. <laughs> please. Um, now I want to go on to something that we have actually, we, we've mentioned on the, the movie Alien. We have. On the, on the show many, many times. Indeed. And I think we, we both think it's a really good movie. We do. Now, UK and Comcast back pay TV provider Sky and Sky Plus and whatever have <laughs> added a new disclaimer to 16 films hmm. uh, saying that they include outdated attitudes, language, and cultural depictions which may cause offense today. Now, this list, and I'm gonna I'm gonna read this backwards just because. You yeah. know where we're going to end up. Yes. Tropic Thunder. I get that. Trading I Places. totally get that. I get okay. that. The Lone Ranger. Yes. The Littlest Rebel. Lawrence uh, of Arabia. Yeah, yeah. Last Samurai. Jungle mm -hmm. Book. The Jazz uh, Singer. Which Jungle Book did they mention? Did they it mention? does not say. I just wonder. Anyway, okay. The Jazz uh, Singer. Uh, yes. Blackface. Hello. The Goonies. Mm-hmm. Uh, Gone with the Wind. Yeah, Go no, figure. No kidding. Uh, Flash Gordon. Mm, like the I'm original not, series? Serially, yes. Again, it does not say. I'm going back to the 1980s one and going, really? Yeah, I'm thinking um, of like the original serial. 
Dumbo, I get that. Totally get that. Breakfast at Tiffany's, I get that. Oh, oh yes, hell yes. Calls of Fury. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, skipping a little bit, Aladdin, fine. Mm-hmm. And Aliens. Now, that one struck me because I was like, Aliens. I went back and watched the movie again this this week. Yeah. And wrote down the only lines in the movie. Because I don't think there were any visuals that made me go, ooh, that's a bad thing. Yeah. There were three lines. Two of them done by Bill Paxton because I told you he would pop up again. Of course he would. Uh, One was, hey, Vasquez, you ever been mistaken for a man? Okay. I can I can see the point of the warning. But she but immediately turns around and go, "No, have you?" So ex- exactly. There's a pay. There's a payoff in the movie, which belittles the person who's stupid enough to say it. So exactly. Right. Um, there was the comment he made about. Let's see. How did? How was it phrased? Someone said alien. She thought they said illegal alien, and she, she signed up. Right. Uh, yeah. She then flipped him off. You know. Which, so yeah. Again, which is the same character. Um, <laughs> I mean, I have no problem with them putting like a warning on whatever kind of film, but I mean, comparing those lines and aliens to well, Mickey, Mickey Rooney. Here, and here's, Rick- here's the third one though. <laughs> and this came, comes from Sergeant a Pone, who I've forgotten who plays him. I apologize. Uh, there's some juicy colonist daughters we have to rescue from their virginity. Mm-hmm. Okay, I can see some warning line being put on that, but at the same time, Donald Trump still exists. Yeah, um, he didn't say. <laughs> he also didn't say there's some juicy twelve-year-old colonist daughters we no. have to rescue. He just said juicy. I'm sorry. There's a lot of language in that film, and there's a whole lot of bloodshed. I don't really see how that would be offensive to anybody who is watching Aliens. The other two lines is like okay, and like I said, it's not like they aren't showing the film or they cut the scenes or something like that. I'm not, I'm fine with them putting a warning, but to compare that to like Mickey Rooney's performance in breakfast at Tiffany's, which got a lot of heat when the fricking movie came out in the sixties. Yeah. Because it's so over the top, horrifyingly stereotyped. I mean, Jesus. I mean, I was a kid when I first saw that movie and I didn't understand the overall concept of what she was really doing. That's your but, microphone, by the way. Ooh, thank you for that. <laughs> uh, but I knew that was awful. Yeah. It's like, Jesus Christ. I mean, come on. I was like eight years old and I knew, well, that's not right. <laughs> well, I think the only other thing that might have come in would be uh, the character of Vasquez herself, mm-hmm. who's played by Jeanette Elise Goldstein. Exactly. Not a uh, no. Latina actor. Or actress, however you Te- want to put technically it. Technically, no, but um, it, it, I don't know that she was actually in blackface or anything or whatever it would be for Latino characters. Um, but she's actually, uh, she was described, and I love this, as a chameleon because she's been in so many different movies with so many different looks. Um, and yes. I love this. This was a bit of trivia. She was on ER twice as a guest star and now that was a show where they did not like to repeat guest stars playing different roles yeah but they said that she was on there twice and didn't realize she had been on before until after the second time had aired as as i 
recall her publicity shot, she is has really pale skin and freckles. Yeah. And red that hair. was what she looked that was what, what that was what she looked like in Titanic. Yeah. So she is uh didn't look like Vasquez. Which I don't count that as being to me, blackface, you're making a mockery of a specific race when you're in blackface. Right. I mean, if it's going to be harmful, that's the point of it. Uh, Vasquez is quite badass. possibly the most badass character in the entire damn franchise, with the possible exception of Ripley. But I don't know if she's even not more badass than Ripley. It's just not. She, she's more. I think she might be more badass, but not quite as intelligent. Not quite as lucky either. But, um, <laughs> but yeah, I mean, that is an extremely powerful, forceful, positive character, Vasquez. One of the actual few in the whole franchise when you get down to it, because there aren't many. Yeah. So. And actually, and this is where I was bringing the review thing into the news. If you have yes. not seen Alien, <laughs> because there's not a two on it, you, you should watch this movie. It's actually really good. Oh, it's an awesome <clears throat> movie. Um, actually, a couple other things with Jeanette Goldstein. Really? Uh, IMDb says her family is Jewish. Right. I kind of gathered gathered at that from the name, but okay. And uh, tell me if this would not have been cool. She tried out and was really heavily considered for the role of Tasha Yar on Star Trek The Next Generation. <laughs> that would have made that role much different. I would have loved that. No kidding. I would have really liked that. No, I no, necessarily, that. not necessarily any offense to, to Denise Crosby, who played her in the series, but. Oh, I'll give offense. I okay. cannot stand her in that role. I hate the way that character. I like played. her better than Dr. Pulaski. Yeah. I don't know if it, how much of it is her performance, how much is the script, how much is the direction but I hate the way that character was portrayed because to me it was just such a cardboard cutout. It was terrible. And Ms. Goldstein might have played it the same way, you know, depending on the script and the direction and all the rest of it, but I doubt it. I think she would have been a very different character. I think she would have brought a lot of nuance to it. I mean, because there was depth to her character as Vasquez and it's, it's a science fiction action movie. Oh, let's go blow up stuff. But I mean, she brought a lot of interesting depth to Vasquez. In a movie that, you know, didn't really have a whole lot of depth to a lot of the characters unless they were in the hands of talented actors like Michael Bain, stuff, people like that. So anyway, uh, just so we don't make this the Jeanette Goldstein show, which would be OK. That'd be all right. Oh, yeah. Uh, we mentioned a couple older films and we talked about some pictures coming out. I wanted to mention a couple that I am really looking forward to whenever they appear. Uh, right now, they are targeted for release dates in September, which <clears throat> probably isn't going to happen. Good luck. Yeah, the first one's one I had not heard a thing about. This is from Peter Jackson, your friendly Peter Jackson, who brought you the Lord of the Rings and, unfortunately, all the Hobbit stuff. But <laughs> also did a fantastic documentary in World War One called They Shall Not Grow Old, which is an amazing piece of work. Turns out he has a documentary coming out on the Beatles which again, hadn't heard a thing about this. This is a lot of never before seen oh, wow. footage. And this is centers on the time when they recorded their album, Let It Be, their last album, and covers the rooftop performance, which, you know, one of the legendary performances of all time. So it's called The Beatles Get Back. That is scheduled to be released September 4th. So 
sometime within the next five years, expect to see the Beatles get back from Peter Jackson. That uh, The work he did with They Shall Not Grow Old, which, again, is a documentary using footage from World War One, And he cleaned it up, and it looks like they filmed it. Well, it looks like they filmed it last year when it came out. So uh, Jackson is a great storyteller when he sets his mind to it. So I picture this is going to be a terrific movie. The other movie, which I had heard of, but I didn't realize all the details on it. This is called Candyman. You guys may remember the movie that came out in the 90s, Candyman. Mm -hmm. Say his name three times in the mirror, he comes out and kills you. Yay! Super awesome horror movie starring Tony Todd in the title role. And he is... He was a slave who was murdered and he comes back to take his revenge. So despite the fact that he's the movie monster, he's a very sympathetic character, which is a weird twist. Now, two things that I didn't realize about this. This is being directed by Nia DaCosta. Um, Young director, hadn't really heard much about her until recently. She directed a movie called Little Woods, which is a pretty deep crime drama, which is excellent about two sisters who have to make one last big drug deal to make ends meet uh it's one of these movies where you're rooting for the criminals because they're actually very sympathetic characters and this is what they have to do again little woods awesome movie so from nia DaCosta, she's directing it which is terrific jordan peele is producing it you know the guy who does the new twilight zone did us uh a few cool little movies like get out so the guy knows horror absolutely so he's producing it tony todd is in this again playing the Candyman. the thing i didn't know that this is a sequel this is not a reboot this is not a remake this is a sequel which is just such a cool concept i mean this is almost 30 years later and the fact that this guy is going to make a sequel of really it, it's not a huge horror film it's not one of the classics that people think of but it's one of those under the radar classics to me i mean Candyman is an excellent horror film and the fact that peel decided is like no we're not going to reboot this we're just going to make up a straight up sequel and oh by the way tony todd who's awesome is in it that's just fantastic news so again that is also scheduled to be released <clears throat> supposedly in september so we'll see if that happens but for me two movies to really look forward to Actually, I'm going to throw a third in. The problem with it we, is we don't have a name. <laughs> that would be a problem. <laughs> um, I'm going to keep an eye out for this, and you're probably going to hear more about this as we get closer because they haven't finished filming it yet. Uh, the story for this particular movie follows a scientist who discovers the dangers associated with a program he created to perfect human DNA, and he's helping an artificially intelligent woman he designed escape. Uh-huh. Now, the thing about this that really is going to make the news, actually, is that the artificially intelligent woman he designed to escape yes. is an artificial intelligent robot. That y- You've seen these on, on like the Today Show and stuff. Yes. Um, where they've created, you know, it looks almost human. Mm-hmm. And it will talk to you and respond and everything. That's what's playing this character. And, and I don't know if you saw it, but a, maybe two years ago, with the comedian Whitney Cummings did a uh, little segment. She was in, I don't remember now if it was Howard Stern or Joe Rogan, but she was doing an interview and she had a robot done 
for a stand-up special just to, you know, really? she got one. She, yeah, she got one of these robots from Japan. I think she said it cost, oh, it was either, either $100,000 or $200,000 because they customized it because it looks like her. Wow. Um, and it was having a conversation, and it wasn't very good at it, um, which was part of it. Yeah, but it learns. And that was part of the fun of it. But correct me if I'm wrong, but I, I, I read not that this is a $70 million film, but that this was a $70 million robot. Is that correct? I have seen where uh, someone has committed $70 million to it. That's what now, I I do thought. not know if that is specifically for the robot itself. Right. Or if that's for the entirety of the movie or both. Yeah. Um, I have not seen video of the robot. I've just seen a still photo, but it sh and it, there's a huge difference between a still photo and video, but holy right. crap, that looks like a person. It does. And AI, I actually messed around with an AI program uh, for about a month, a couple months ago. Uh, you know, and it's just a chat bot, basically. But right. it was amazing how quickly it learned. And every once in a while, you would get an off-the-wall response, which was like, yeah, that doesn't work. <laughs> Try again. You said what? Yeah. But honestly, 90% of the conversation, you'd swear you were talking to a person. It was really, really amazing. Uh, so... I can imagine that they can really create something pretty fantastic if they put some bucks into it. So I picture it's going to be called Eve or something terrible. But, uh, and I don't know who the writer is. I don't know anything about it except, oh, we're going to do a movie starring an actual AI-powered robot. But that sounds fascinating. It, I don't know if it's going to be good or horrible yeah. or if the, you know, the story is really going to live up to it, but, but I'm going to watch it just because I'm curious. Exactly. We are going to be watching that whenever that comes out. That's so, just a fascinating idea. You know what? Let's go from something I would, I'm very interested in seeing to something I was very interested in seeing until <laughs> I saw it. <laughs> oh no. <laughs> I'm so no, sorry, but, Rob. <laughs> yeah. We watch things so you don't have to. The, uh, <laughs> I've mentioned before that I actually like older murder mystery movies and TV shows and stuff. And I am actually a big fan of Raymond Burr and the Perry Mason series from the late fifties and early sixties. As am I. I mean, it was some great stuff. Now this past week, the 2020 Perry Mason prequel series was kicked off on HBO. And I said, you know what? It's Perry Mason. Let's take a look. What the hell did I do that for? All right. <laughs> Here we go. Before we even meet Perry, it, it starts with a, a hostage payoff. Someone's kid has been kidnapped and they've got to make a, you know, a money drop and the kid will be left in this train. The, the train doesn't make any sense to me. It honestly, it's a, it's an incline train in Los Angeles. I've never been to L.A. It might be there. I don't know. Anyway, the money is dropped. They find the infant son and whoops, he's dead and his eyes are sewn open. And Ow. my first thought was, yeah, you know what? I'm done. I don't need to. I, I don't want to watch kids be mutilated. You know, I'm. I'm You're funny gonna, that way. I, I, I don't want to finish this. I have no interest in watching any more of the series. We haven't even even been introduced to Perry Mason. And already I'm like, eh. No, 
because Perry Mason was never this dark. He was a lawyer. And in this, he's not. He's a P.I. Right. So I'm thinking maybe they got this confused and it's really the Paul Drake show. <laughs> Which would be boring because God, Paul was boring anyway. Well, picky, picky, picky. <laughs> but yeah, so I, I went with that mentality. And I said, OK, I'll try it. Let's go. There was a lot of unnecessary language. I don't mind language being used, but if it's just, I'm going to use it every other word, why? Well, all it does is let, annoy people. Let's be honest, it's on HBO, so it's necessary because I think that's in their contract for all films to have language. Oh, brace yourself. His first case is following a fat guy who's a uh, an actor, apparently, and he has a morals clause in his Hollywood contract. It leads to a scene with full frontal nudity of him. Yeah, I needed that. Thanks. Yeah. Uh, he's having... Uh, performing fellatio on another actress who also has a moral clause, but there's lots of food involved and you know what? Yeah. Uh, no. Very, very um, loosely based on the fatty Arbuckle case, although not, not a death involved in this, in their version. So anyway, anyway, so now I'm not only disgusted with the series, I'm also kind of bored, <laughs> but anyway, Perry takes pictures of him, whatever returns to his house near a Mexican airfield. Okay, whatever. Finds a lot of final notice letters and a package to someone returned for insufficient postage. And then we find out, oh, wait, it's not just his home. It's a farm. Perry Mason has cows. Why? (laughs) Why? And I was almost going to turn it off, but then John Lithgow showed up. All right. All right. Yeah. At least he showed up as opposed to the people in Cats who just didn't. Yeah. So John Lithgow is a lawyer. He wants to hire Mason. And Perry is changing in the background. Hang on a minute. He's got tattoos in the 1920s. Really? Perry Mason? had Whatever. Turns out Perry is divorced with a kid. That's who the package was to. But he didn't have money to send it. Whatever. Um. He has to go to a, then has to go to a courtroom to testify in a court case. And I'm only doing half this episode, so just bear with me on this. It's not going to make much more sense. One of the things I noticed is they left the courtroom. They went five seconds down a hall, turned right. Five seconds down a hall, turned right. Five seconds down a hall, turned right. Five seconds down a hall and turned right. You'll notice we're back where we started, but it's a different place. Now there's elevators there. I'm like, you could have just walked out and gone, bing. But you didn't. You had to do a lap first because he's on some kind of fitness program, I guess. Whatever. So anyway, we meet back up with John Lithgow, who takes Perry to meet the family who lost the kid from the opening scene. We're 20 minutes in. Where the hell have where have they been? Why have we been following this other crap? Anyway, uh, Perry gets hired to find out who did this because they don't trust the cops. Gasp. Um. Perry goes back to his house and has what I can what I can describe as one of the most hilarious sex scenes I have ever seen. <laughs> Apparently, he's doing a Latina pilot from the Mexican airport next door. Whatever. I'm just going to go with the bed doesn't stay where it's supposed to. I can't tell if it was on purpose or not. Ah. It's a it made me laugh. Only thing in the show that did. Uh, then it, uh, it turned very 
Quentin Tarantino, for some reason, there was a lot of, look, here's the bad guys and shooting holes in each other. And let's follow the bullet through their body. In, not Yay. in CSI television. Okay. Kind of way, but no, nope, this is Tarantino. So, <laughs> uh, I'm actually just going to stop it there. Cause I pretty much did too. If you're into graphic noir, I guess this is your, your series. It's not for me. I tried. Um, I'll just the, say, the show, go ahead. The show ended on a cliffhanger, but we already know who did it. Not why, but who, and I can't bring myself to care why. One of those. So maybe it's the sepia tone they put on everything to make it look like it's in the twenties. Um, I will say that, yeah, I'm a longtime fan of the Perry Mason show with Raymond Burr. I'm old enough to have watched it when it was originally aired. So, yeah, I'm ancient. Um, Huge fan of that story. I have seen, I think, three of the movies that actually were released in the late 30s because Earl Stanley Gardner wrote these mysteries a long time ago. A long time ago. Uh, Not great movies, but entertaining. Even in those, Perry Mason was always a lawyer. So I thought this is an odd move. I really liked the fact that they were putting it back in the 30s. That's uh-huh. cool. But the fact that they made him a PI really made no sense. No. Because in, in the show, in the TV show, the beloved TV show, one of the greatest TV shows ever, he basically was a private investigator because he did more investigating than every any lawyer ever does. Paul Drake would just be like, hey, go pick this up for me because I'll know what to do with it. Uh, because Perry solved every case because that's yeah. just how the show worked. So in reality, yeah, he was a private investigator, but he was a lawyer and the courtroom scenes were always the climax of the show. So I didn't get the concept of updating it by changing him to a PI. I didn't understand that at all. Nope. Um, I like the fact that they threw in the kind of reference to the Fatty Arbuckle case, although it's a lot different, but still it's basically that same concept. That's cool. I expect the language and I expect the graphic violence because, again, it's on HBO and that's kind of what they they do do with. Yeah, that's what they do with virtually everything, which one of the reasons why uh, the only reason I have HBO now is because it's included with my cable package at no extra charge. (laughs) If I had to pay literally if I had to pay three extra bucks for it, I would not pay for it because despite the fact that they have a lot of good series, too many of these series are just they're overwrought with this kind of copycat crap. You know, it's like, oh, this is what people like. It's like, yeah, to some extent, if it services the plot, okay. But if it's just there, like you said, Rob, it's like, oh, let's just throw in a lot of language just because we can do it. No, that's that's ridiculous. I, I'm I'll, a bit disappointed with the executive producers, Susan and Robert Downey Jr. That's rather odd. Um, yeah. I'll watch it just to see. You know, because we have differences of opinion at times, which is weird. But I have a bad suspicion that you are 100% right on this because... I don't want to be. I saw the trailer and a trailer, oh, that's interesting. But just the whole concept of changing him to a PI... A broke PI. Really is... A... a Makes makes no sense. Makes no sense. I mean, the fact that... Despite the fact that Raymond Burr was rather heavy set, which being a chubby kid was one of the reasons I liked him. He was a very dynamic figure. Women were always interested in him. Not that that's like the, the big a thing, mutually exclusive thing, but he was not some deadbeat broke dude. You know, he was 
an impressive man of the world. I mean, people respected him. The only person on the planet who didn't like him was Hamilton Berger and Lieutenant Tragg. Okay, two people didn't like him. I was going to say Tragg more than Berger, though. Yeah, they really didn't like Perry. <clears throat> but that was part of the fun dynamic of it is this lawyer who was smarter than everybody else and was a PI in reality. And just to make him a PI, it's just they changed the character so much. It's like, why bother calling it Perry Mason? I don't see the point. Yeah, I don't. Other than the fact it's got name recognition, but how much there name recognition is I there? I think they said was Della Street, but I right. I read. I read Della is in it, which you know, okay, fine, but there was no resemblance when you're when you're cashing in on an iconic TV show, which is geez, 60 years old, 55 years old. Yep. And then you change the concept. There's no point to that. There is zero point to that. Make, if you want to make a show about a PI in the thirties, buy the rights to Chinatown and do that and screw it over. I mean, at least that was a PI. Bring Peter Gunn back. It's got a good theme song. He was in the Ford. Peter Gunn's got an awesome theme song. So, yeah, that's just an odd, very odd choice. Like I said, I'll check it out just to see. But I have a bad feeling that I'm going to say, yeah, Rob, just like it, just like I did with cats. Thanks for warning me. I should have listened. Perry Mason had a farm and his cows <laughs> are anemic. That's such a weird choice. Such a weird I was choice. not expecting that. Yeah. Well, I actually watched a couple films this week, which I will recommend. So not the, not the case of we watch movies so you don't have to. However, uh, a caveat is in order here. So I watched a pandemic double feature just because I kind of felt like it. So to, to me, these it are- has the nothing t- to do with the outside world. <laughs> no, nothing at all. Let me put uh, my mask on. <laughs> yeah. To me, these are two of the best, if not the best movies ever made about a outbreak of a disease. And one of them is not Outbreak, because I think Outbreak is overwrought and not very good. Uh, I am talking about maybe one of the granddaddies of this kind of film, The Andromeda Strain, which came out a long time ago, like 1971. Uh, About the same time I did. (laughs) There you go. And the second one is Contagion. So let me talk about The Andromeda Strain first, since it's the older film. Now, The Andromeda Strain is not quite about, not about a pandemic at all, but it's about a potential pandemic. The concept is the U.S. had a satellite which went out into deep space, and it was called Project Scoop. They were trying to find something in outer space, whatever they could find. Basically, they were trying to find uh, evidence of life. So the satellite comes back, it crashes in a place it wasn't supposed to land. Uh, someone opens it up, and guess what? This little town in Arizona, everybody is dead. Oops. Everybody is dead. So, of course, uh, the United States, they decide they'll investigate. And basically, this is under the, the auspices of the Army. It's not the CDC that's involved in this case. Uh, but the Army gets involved. They send out their crack investigative team. And they, a couple of the scientists, actually it's one scientist and one doctor, uh, they go visit this uh, town and they find evidence that people died really quickly from this. They also find evidence that the way people died was their blood coagulated so quickly it turned into powder. 
Not, not a good way to die. They manage to find two survivors. One is a baby who is crying a lot. One is an old man who appears to be an alcoholic. And he's pretty much out of it. So they take them back to this facility that they beat, they, this research facility they built in the desert in Arizona. Uh, it's like a five-level underground facility. It's The technical aspect of this film is wonderful, absolutely amazing. There's a couple of reasons for that. Michael Crichton wrote the novel that this is based on, and it followed the novel pretty closely because I read the novel a long time ago. Michael Crichton, of course, the guy who wrote Jurassic Park. Michael Crichton, who was a scientist himself, so he definitely did a lot of hard science work. Uh, one of the reasons that it looks so technically correct is they had three advisors from the Jet Propulsion Laboratory. Uh, so they didn't screw around and just talk to you know a, people, a few guys who passed science in fifth grade. They talked to people who would really know about this crap. So this is full of technical jargon which, and I'm certainly no expert, but from the little bit I know of it, this is dead on accurate for, for the time. Uh, the level of containment that they use, it takes them 16 hours to get down to the bottom, to the highest level uh, of containment, just because it takes all this time to, for them to process and be decontaminated. Uh, well, some of the criticism of this film has been that it's not that exciting, that it's too much of a procedural. Yeah, it is a procedural. <clears throat> Just like a lot of people like police procedurals where they get into the really technical aspects of how cases are solved and stuff. This is a science procedural. And if you like science, this is one of the best movies ever. And oh yeah, by the way, uh, they are investigating a disease that kills people within hours of exposure. So not like there's not anything at risk. And oh, guess what? It may be breaking out. So they have to figure out how to contain this disease. And there's kind of a subplot where there is a less chance, basically a fail-safe method, where if it does break out, <clears throat> it's automated. Their computer systems, which are really well done for 1971, their computer system will automatically start the countdown for a nuclear blast which will destroy the facility. They have five okay. minutes to turn this off if it's automated. And again, and, and so the doctor, the, the head scientist talks, tells the doctor, and he says he's the odd man out because they use the odd man out theory, which is an actual theory where they would establish they would use a single male because all kinds of research proved that a single male was more likely to be willing to take higher risks than married males, married women, unmarried women, whatever just because we have nothing to live for, I guess. So they designate him his as the key holder. He is the only person who would carry the key. He would be the one to turn off the automated sequence. And he says, okay, so you really expect me to do this? And he, he reiterates to him, it's like, no, you don't understand. You're going to turn it off. This is automatic. If something bad happens, this thing is going off. You have to make the decision to say, no, we can contain this. You can stop this. Well, it turns out that the virus actually feeds on energy, and if they blow it up, <clears throat> it's going to mutate even more and spread all over the United States. So, fun times Oh yeah, happen. Uh, to me, this is an extremely tense, thrilling movie, although it is maybe a little slow-paced at the beginning, because again, it's a lot of procedural work. The only... Uh, oh, I should mention the director is Robert Wise. Uh, 
guy who directed the Earth, the day the Earth stood still, the first Star Trek movie. So he knows his science fiction. Um, the only problem I have with the movie is one of the cast members, not the whole cast member. <clears throat> they definitely went for not star power, but more character art, more character actors in this. And they all do a fantastic job, except for the guy who plays the doctor, who's kind of like the co-lead. Uh, James Olsen basically did a lot of TV, did a few movies. Uh, this movie would have been absolutely top-notch if they'd had a better, more interesting, dynamic actor in the role instead of Olsen. He's not a bad actor, but he's just not very interesting. He thought he was uh, the James Olsen that hung out with Superman, didn't he? Yeah, he would have been better if he'd been that. Uh, so, I mean, for instance, if this had been Paul Newman, 1971. Oh, hello. Out of the ballpark. Uh, and, and a lot of actors in the seventies, uh, could have played this role and been more interesting and not make it over the top, but it just, they would have been a more dynamic character. Um, other than that, I mean, this is still an excellent film. Really, really enjoy the Andromeda strain. Uh, they remade it as a TV miniseries. I think like in 2001, something like that, I got, uh, about halfway through the first episode and turned it off because, wow, they really screwed the pooch. So, <laughs> yeah, you can remake this movie. That would be great. Uh, but until that happens, The Andromeda Strain, 1971, excellent film. Now, the companion piece, which I mentioned, is Contagion. Now, this is about a pandemic. This came out nine years ago. And, of course, we've already, at that point, we'd already had bird flu, uh, we'd had one round of H1N1. Of course, the big round came. Oh, actually, this is like, uh, yeah, I forgot. This is like a year and a half after H1N1 came out. So uh, this actually is like, oh, look, I'm watching today's headlines. Isn't this great? Uh, Contagion, directed by Steven Soderbergh, done a ton of excellent dramas, has a fantastic cast. Uh, Matt Damon, Kate Winslet, Jude Law. Uh there's like a dozen big, big people in this film. One of the absolute charms of this, Gwyneth Paltrow, one of the absolute charms of this film is just because someone's a star doesn't mean they ain't going to die in this movie. Because a lot of the people that you would think are not going to die in this movie, they're dead in this movie. Because after all, this is about a pandemic. Uh, it's a lot worse than the pandemic we're currently going through because at one point in the film, they mentioned that 27 million people have died worldwide. Uh, oh, right now. Yeah. Right here. Give us time. Yeah, exactly. We're at about half a million worldwide right now. <clears throat> and as you said, unfortunately, hold my beer as probably what uh, COVID-19 is saying. So again, this is a procedural. And again, just like Andromeda strain, uh, got some flack. I mean, in, most critics really liked the movie. Most critics liked Andromeda Strain. But the few who didn't said, well, you know, it's too boring and blah, blah, blah. And it's like, that's because you're too intellectually weak to pay attention to what's going on. And in my uh, humble opinion, you're just freaking stupid if you can't sit through some of the discussion of what actually takes place to track down a virus and what precautions can be done to handle the situation. They go through the whole situation of talking about the R naught, you know, discussing how many people <clears throat> the uh, one person is likely to infect. They talk about methods of transmission. They talk about some fool comes up with a fake cure and makes millions of dollars off it because, of course, people pay attention to the Internet back then. Uh, 
you know, it has all of the, has talks about the panic, talks about uh, governmental help and governmental interference. Uh, it's just extremely, extremely well done. There are some uh, really touching scenes when maybe a couple characters that you were really rooting for uh, don't fare so well. I'm not going to say who, but, you know, you'll find out when you watch the movie. Um <clears throat> It's a really, really uh, emotionally gripping film for something that's been criticized as being overly dry and procedural. It's like, I don't know what the hell they were watching. Because you really get invested in these characters. They're not cardboard cutouts, just like in the Andromeda Strain. I mean, those were richly developed characters. Same thing in this. Uh, just a great movie. Not a fun movie to watch because, like I said, a lot of people don't uh, they don't deal well with the situation. A lot of people don't make it out of this situation, but it's especially now, this is a really good film to watch. And again, it's not about our current situation. Uh, it's about our current situation, but magnified. Uh, absolutely worth watching. Awesome performances, very tense, tense film. And one of the mysteries of the film is they're trying to figure out patient zero. How did this start? The index patient. And I will say, keep watching till the very end because they reveal exactly how it started at the end of the film in a, in a flashback, which is really well done. So two movies that I would absolutely recommend. Neither of them are, I would say Andromeda Strain is more fun, I guess, because it's, it's more of a science fiction film. Uh, Contagion, unfortunately, basically could just be news footage of what's going on now, except with a lot of really good actors. So absolutely recommend. As opposed them. to what we have now, which is a lot, a lot of, of bad actors, bad actors. Yeah, indeed. But I absolutely recommend the Andromeda strain contagion. Uh, despite the fact they're about horrifying diseases uh, to me, they're both uh, good escapist films because it's still not our reality. Even though they're very well done, it's not our reality. So it also kind of gives you, to me, it gives you uh, hope for there are smart people out there working on this problem, just like there are in these films. So absolutely recommend both Contagion and The Andromeda Strain. You might not want to do the double feature like I did, though. You might want to space them for you know <laughs> a week or two so you don't just <clears throat> sit there and cry. Break it up with aliens. Absolutely but not Perry Mason, the new version. <laughs> Break it no. up with the old version. There you go. Oh, perfect. Which, by the way, on Amazon Prime. At least at least the first season. And these are not, you know, the, the typical shows you have now where it's, ooh, it's an hour-long show, so it's 40 minutes. Because yep. that math, that's kind of like the toilet paper math. <laughs> yes. You know how you see that on the side? Six of our rules equals 72 of their... What? Six does not equal 72. It's that kind of a thing. These are hour-long episodes that are an hour long. So, yes. Good things to watch, except the new version of Perry Mason. But, you know, we'll get over that. There will be more things coming, but they won't be coming on this show next week because it's the 4th of July, and we're taking the day off. We are. We're sleeping in. Um, we're lazy. 
because yeah, we record on Saturdays, even though it doesn't come out till Tuesday, because it gives me time to mix out the things that we're not supposed to say, like me tripping over my tongue at the beginning of the show, which I'm leaving in. So there, ha. Ah. That's when Rob cuts out like 90% of what I say. I haven't done that. It's, that's that's Lee on the other show. <laughs> well, considering some of the things Lee says <laughs> on the other show. actually, I apologize think, for anything Lee has said on any show. That's consi- consi- Considering some of the things I've said on the other show. Yeah. Anyway. I'm surprised I haven't been arrested. This show, uh, just to let you know. Contagion and Andromeda strain, they might still be out there too. COVID is still there. The yes. outside world is still not safe to traverse without protection. So wear yeah. your mask, damn it. Yes, please. Or just stay home and watch a movie. Captain, we're losing power in the warp engines. I think we should be leaving now. I'm going to go home and sleep with my wife. Uh, and on that unusually harmonious bombshell, it is time to end. I am very disappointed. Man, we have a weird job. It's shameful, but uh, eh, it's a living. And like that, he's gone. Holy crimson skies of death!